0: Father in heaven, we just ask for your spirit to be here with us. Open our minds to your word, Lord, and to your will for each one of our lives. I know you have a beautiful love story you want to write for each one of the people who are here. First, love with you, and second, if it's your will, love with someone else. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, single and satisfied. There was a time in my life when I was very single and very not satisfied. Um, I started dating when I was about 14 and um, in the procession of guys that I dated between then and 16, I figured out this was just not a good idea. So uh, when I committed my life to the Lord, I also committed my dating relationships to the Lord and that meant for me, no longer dating. I didn't date from when I was 16 until I was 23. And that that was a tough decision, initially I was like, how am I going to live this way? You know, I shared in an earlier seminar how I was, such, I was known as being a huge flirt. And, and I just thought, how am I going to live this way? It's just like, you know, I decided I was going to do the God thing. And for me, the God thing meant going off to the convent and, and just deciding I wasn't going to have any relationships with guys and I was going to try to do everything 100% the way that God wanted me to. But I have to admit, I thought, you know, God certainly does have some harsh requirements here. But I realized that I needed to get my thought life straight. I spent a lot of time daydreaming. I spent a lot of time dreaming about guys. And when I'd come home and lie down at night, I really longed for somebody to be there with me so I would create imaginary stories. You know, I read novels. I would make up novels. I was going to be a novelist. My my best friend Dana and I, we were going to be novelists together and write novels under the pen name Danica. We had our lives planned out at 13. And we wrote lots of wild love stories that were very romantic. And we were captured by Indians and all kinds of things. But you know, the bottom line was (laughs) our lives were not even... It was not possible for us to be captured by Indians, and it was no more possible that we actually find true love with the mindsets that we had. And um, so when we, we parted ways, when I chose to take one direction in my life and sign off from dating, she chose a different path, and it wasn't a very happy one. I think she's on her third marriage now. But, you know, the Lord is very gracious. And what I thought was such a terrible sacrifice that the Lord was calling me to, I can tell you was one of the greatest blessings of my life. Not only did I make so many rich quality friendships, both opposite sex and same sex, because when I found that once I couldn't feed that hormonal high of flirting with guys and, and feeling so good because I'd have these deep, intimate talks with guys who I wasn't dating, were just like brother and sister, blah, blah, blah. But once I didn't have that and I wasn't feeding that anymore, I found that being friends with girls was a lot more attractive than it had been before when I could compare sitting down with a girl and spilling my guts versus sitting down with a guy and spilling my guts. Wow, you know, it just felt so intense. But I built close friendships with girls. I've found that being single, could truly be satisfying, and that's what I want to share with you today, the keys to how I found that and how I believe that God wants to have that for every one of you. If you're not married, God wants you to be single and satisfied. Um, Now, I shared a little bit about this study earlier. According to a study published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology, most people were no more satisfied with life after marriage than they were prior to marriage. How many of you were here when I shared this earlier? All right. Um, this study took 24,000 individuals and looked at how they reacted to getting married, and they found that they generally stayed at pretty much their, their personal set point of happiness, and they'd have a little blip of extra happy around when they got married, maybe the year before when they're engaged, and you know, and, and maybe some of the year afterward. And then they go right back to being just as happy as they were before. The miserable people were miserable again. The happy people were happy again. And some people are happier than others, the researcher diner concluded. That's clear. And there are things you can do to make yourself happier. But something external, like getting married, isn't a royal road to changing your set point. Um, when I was single and young and foolish, was oh, that the same? Oops, here we go. Okay.
1: No, go, go on.
0: The next one. There we go. Try it again. Yeah. Hmm. Wait a minute. That one's yours, Sorry, isn't that, it? Yeah, Sorry. Just ah! keep going. Oh no! My husband is putting slides in beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> so yes. That means that, (laughs) excusing that slide that sneaked in, this is a seminar on how to have a happy marriage. Isn't that wonderful? By sitting down and learning how to be a happy single, you're learning how to be a happy married person because the same principles are going to apply. Marriage is different, but it's not necessarily better. I like marriage better than being single, but I think it's mainly because the path of the just is as a shining light, the Bible says. It shines more and more unto the perfect day. Marriage is better because it's wonderful, it's secure. I feel so safe in knowing my husband loves me forever. He's committed to me. But I realize for most people who get married, they don't have the same security that I do because we didn't cheat on each other. We didn't have sex with anybody else before we married each other because I know when my husband goes to work, I don't have the slightest doubt in my mind that he is being faithful to me whether he's in my sight or not. A lot of people don't have that. But for me, marriage is happier, but it's also happier because as I'm spending more and more time, every every year, I become more of who God wants me to be by God's grace. I certainly hope anyway. And marriage is a wonderful way to grow, to learn so many things about myself that I didn't realize, you know. I didn't realize how selfish I was. I didn't realize you know, you don't really realize how stuck you are in your own ways until you try to load a dishwasher with somebody else. Uh, <laughs> but they don't go there, honey. I put them here, this way. <laughs> no, the water sprays. Don't try to reason with a rational person like my husband. <laughs> <laughs> Marriage is great, but it's not as romantic as dating. It's it's more secure, it's more stable, but it's not as as emotionally... Uh, an upheaval. I don't know how else to put it. So some people, they get married expecting, wow, now we're going to live an intense, you know, the the wonders of engagement are just going to be multiplied. We'll be married now. Now we'll actually be able to have sex. Boy, everything is just going to be so intensely exciting all of our lives. And life just is not like that. I remember when I was, you know, like... I don't know, 10 years old or so, and I was just thinking, man, if someday I could only be, you know, big enough to drive, big enough to go sleep over at my friend's house, big enough to whatever it was. I wanted to go away to academy. I wanted to have friends. I wanted to be popular. I wasn't content with where God had put me. And once I reached the age where I could drive, where I could go have sleepovers at my friend's house, where I could do things like that, and then I found... I and most of my friends were all still not content. We really wanted to be married or at least dating. We wanted somebody to love us. We wanted to have that flutter whenever we saw this certain person. We wanted to be able to dress for somebody, fix our hair for somebody. And then I found after I jumped across the fence and some of my friends who jumped across the fence before me and got married first, I started finding out, wow. You know, this is a little scary. I had a lot of friends who got married before me. Since I was 27 when I got married, a lot of people went before me. And some of them were already hopping back over the fence into single. When I was not even there yet, I was like, man, what's wrong with them? I thought marriage was, you know, that was what we dreamed about all the time when we were kids. But the key is in Philippians 4, verse 11, I have found in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. They say marriage is like a revolving door. Those who are on the outside are trying to get in. Those who are on the inside are trying to get out. And uh, (laughs) that's so often the truth, you know. It's sad, but it's very true. You think about it. In the worldly movies, I hope none of you guys are watching this kind of garbage. But in worldly movies, typically, if a person is married at the beginning of the movie, it's boring, they're fighting, things aren't going so well, and then... Then the person that they really should have married comes along. And and then, wow, you know, the excitement really starts and they run off and this person was a jerk and they should never have married them anyway, but now they found real love. Or if they're not married at the beginning of the, the movie, then of course they find somebody and that person they fight with nonstop and then and then passion hits and they can't stop and they have to leap into bed together, even though they've known each other for a total of forty eight hours. And now it's gonna work. And now They find happiness and love everlasting and the rest of their lives are going to be one long upheaval of passion after passion because they've finally found the person who's like that, right? That's just not life. God wants us to be content with where we are. Now, if you think about who wrote this Bible verse, Philippians 4.11, Paul wrote this. Uh, One of the most prominent single people in all the Bible. I have found in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Have you read some of the states that Paul was in? <laughs> what? Five times re- of the Jews received I, 40 stripes save one. He was beaten with rods three times, shipwrecked three times, wasn't he? He spent a whole night and day in the, in the water, treading water, waiting to be rescued. He, he had been through so much. Starvation, cold being chased, being betrayed by false brethren, and yet he was content. And contentment is not something that anyone else can give to you. Contentment comes only from God. God gives us his peace. When you think of the story of Jesus when he was in the boat, you remember the story about Jesus when he was asleep in the boat. I mean, this guy must have been exhausted to be able to sleep through this kind of storm. There's water pouring over the boat, and he's out. He is so sound asleep. He was content. He felt safe and secure. So often the reason why, especially as women, the reason why we want to start dating is because we don't feel secure. We want someone to give us that security, somebody to take care of me, somebody to love me, somebody to be there for me all the time. And the whole time, who do we have? He's already there for us. He already knows us. He already loves us more than any human being can ever love us. And he is the ultimate prince. He's the ultimate knight in shining armor. But as he stands there offering his unconditional, pure, total love, knowing us with all of our our warts and every ugliness thing about us, you know, the things that we would be terrified for a boyfriend to find out he already knows, and yet he loves us so much. And he says, come here. Let me hold you in my arms. Let me carry you through your day. Let me be there with you. Let me help you with your studies. Let me help you with the stress. And we say, no, no, not you. Can I, you know, if you really love me, God, won't you give me a guy? Isn't that how we are? And guys, I'm sure that you can relate to this too. You know, Alan's going to talk a little bit more about a guy's perspective, being single and satisfied. But the bottom line is, Christ is enough. His grace is sufficient. His love is more than we can ever expect or hope for from anyone else. You know, I've married the best man in the world for me. I say that without the slightest doubt in my mind. And I've never once regretted marrying Alan. I'm so glad for that. You know, I know so few people whose experience is the same. Most people I know, they marry somebody and seven years down the road, they're not able to say that anymore. They may still be committed to the relationship, but I praise God, He's given me such a wonderful man. But you know, now that I'm married, now that I'm on this side of the fence, I can say with conviction, it it doesn't satisfy those longings. Not even being married to the best person in the world will satisfy the hunger of your heart. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger in your heart. That God-shaped hole can only be filled by His love. Love that never fails. Love that never misunderstands. Love that never gets irritated or grumpy. Love that never has PMS. (laughs) This is real love. God does not go up and down in His love cycle with us. He doesn't feel close to us and then feel far from us. When we don't feel close to God, that doesn't mean that He's farther from us. It may mean that he's allowing us to go through a test, but his love is always there. He's always close. We crave unconditional love, and no human being can give that to us. We crave unconditional love because God has put that craving in our hearts. Jesus was the one who inspired Paul to write this. And Jesus went through his life on earth alone He didn't have that special someone. In fact, he was surrounded by a bunch of grumpy, selfish disciples who even as Jesus told them, look, we're on the way to Jerusalem, I'm gonna be crucified. You're like, oh, okay, so big deal. Anyway, so who's gonna be the greatest among us? I really wanna be the one who sits at the right hand when Jesus is ruling our kingdom. Man, I can't wait until we blast these people out of the world. The disciples were consumed with themselves. Sometimes you may feel lonely. Sometimes you may feel like there's no one who really understands. But Jesus, remember, Jesus lived his life single and satisfied. And he knew he would never get married. What if you prayed and you surrendered everything to the Lord and somehow he revealed to you that you would never get married? Marriage was not going to happen to you. No, you're not going to die tomorrow. But you're going to live a long, fruitful life in which you will be barren of marriage. You're going to die a virgin. How would you handle that? Would that be depressing to you? Jesus faced that. He knew what he was going to go through. Not only he knew he would live his life single, but he knew he was going to die a horrible death. And yet he lived his life single and satisfied, and he is, he is our example in everything. Until you learn to be single and satisfied, you'll never be able to partake of that unique experience. You know, We're told that we are to fellowship with Christ in his sufferings. One of Jesus' most intense sufferings was his loneliness. The Desire of Ages, page 687, says, The human heart longs for sympathy and suffering. This longing Christ felt to the very depths of his being. This is especially, this is written about when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. When you lie down in your bed at night and you've just walked past the dorm lobby and all these people who are all making out and slobbering all over each other and, you know, you hit the depths of gross out or else else the depths of you lie down in your bed and you're lonely. I remember when I would lie down alone and I just think sometimes I've got so much on my mind right now, so much I want to talk to somebody about, but I can't there's nobody who's here. There's nobody God has sent to me. It was a hard feeling. But you know, I learned that that was the most precious time for Jesus and me. That was the time that I could turn on the light and get out my journal and start writing a prayer, writing to Jesus, or just talking to him, saying, you know, this is what I'm feeling. I know you felt this. Because you see, Jesus came and was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus didn't choose to be discontented with the lot that he was given in life. Jesus didn't choose to mourn about how unfair it was that he didn't get to have anybody love him. Everybody else got things from him. Everybody else depended on him, but nobody was there for him. Jesus didn't sit down and and wail about that. He spent his life in service, and he understands. He knows what you're going through. No other person can can totally exactly understand what it is that you go through in your singleness. It's not evil to be lonely. It's not a sin. It's the way that God has created our hearts. Some people feel like well it's wrong of me to even have a longing to get married. No, it's not wrong. It's it's something that God has created in you. There's nothing evil about it. But it's the call of God to your heart. It's God reaching out to you. And that's the first step I want to bring out in satisfying that thirst. Recognize loneliness as the call of God to your heart. Jeremiah 2.13, we mentioned this verse earlier. It says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. I've done that in my life, and I'm sure you have too. Anytime that God is not the center of our lives, we'll find something else and make that our broken cistern. Why do we turn to broken cisterns? Why do we try scraping muddy water out of the bottom of something and drinking that? Why would anybody do that when you've got that fountain of living waters right beside you? Anytime you want to turn to him, he's right there. It's because we haven't drunk from the fountain of living waters. And why do we not drink from the fountain of living water? Sometimes it's because we realize that it means we have to take up our cross. You can't Drip, you can't dip out of the fountain of living water unless you're willing to let go of the other things that you'd like to have as idols instead. We kind of go, well, Lord, I, you know, I really want to have your fountain of living water. I really want to have a satisfying, deep relationship with you. But I don't want to give up going out to, to the movies. Am I saying that the movies are, are wrong? Am I saying you can never watch a video? Is it wrong to watch a video? God is not as interested in what you're doing as in why you're doing it. Now, I say that carefully. I'm not saying that, oh, see, so it doesn't matter if you go out to movies, you go out to theater. You know, the theater is a big big debate in Adventist circles, right? Can you go to the theater or not? I choose not to. I can be open about that. I choose not to because there's no fast-forward button. And... There are things, even if there were something that's really good to watch in the theater, and that already limits it severely, it costs a lot of money. And if there's something that I sit down and find, oh, this isn't appropriate, I thought it was, it's going to be very hard for me to walk out. Wouldn't you find it the same way? And if I go and watch, then somebody else may say, well, it's okay to go to the theater, I can do this too. That's my own personal choice. But it wasn't something that just came to me easily. It wasn't just a flippant choice. It's like, God, how can you take away so many things that I really like, that I find pleasure in? How come I can't go out and, and party, you know? And I don't, mean, I don't mean party like drinking alcohol. I never made the choices to drink alcohol. I never drank a drop. I never smoked a cigarette. And I only swore a couple of times in my life. But I was very far from God <laughs> most, of, most of my teenage years. Up until I was about 17 I didn't believe that that God's grace could be sufficient to give me a happy life and I wrestled with you know but God if I give up flirting how am I going to have any kind of meaningful interaction with guys how am I going to make friends with guys I'm not going to be able to have any fun anymore have you ever felt that now I'm not saying that when you give up your extracurricular uh, activities to God, when you surrender control of everything in your life to God, that he's gonna take away all the fun. Nope, can't have that anymore, give me that chocolate bar. Give me this, no, 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 don't you dare touch that, you can't wear that anymore either, by the way. But I'm saying that we hew out broken cisterns for ourselves in many areas of our lives, and then we're unable to drink of the fountain of living waters because in comparison, it's dry. You know, when you've watched movies in a -a movie-a-thon, have you ever done that with your friends? I've I've made this notable mistake in numerous times in my life. You know, you watch several movies all in a row. Have you ever tried to read the Bible after that? You know, my sister and I used to beg my mom to rent some movies. So she'd, you know, she'd go and take us to the video store, and she'd say, now only one of you can come in with me, because I'm not going to have you both fighting over what we're going to get. And I'd always send my sister... Because, you know, I was unselfish like that. No, it was because I knew she could persuade my mom to watch something worse than I could. <laughs> oh, come on, Mom. It's probably only PG-13 because it has one bad word. Can't we please? She was really good at this. So I'd send my sister, and we would get whatever we could. And, and any time that we'd finish watching all the stuff that we had, then we had the perennial cry of the teenager. Mom, I'm so bored. Please, can't we get something? I was so bored all the time if we didn't have something to read or something to watch, something to listen to. So it was really hard for me to to let God into those areas of my life. And I'm not telling you what you can or can't watch or listen to or wear or read. That's something that you need to sit down with the spirit of God and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I will do. Whatever you want me to give up, I will give up. But here's what I learned. I'm sharing from my own heart and my own experience. Once I made that very difficult commitment to stop watching all that garbage and stop listening to a lot of garbage that I had been really interested in, threw away a lot of books I didn't need to read anymore. You know, my sister wasn't as excited about my choices for a while, and it was a real point of contention in our family, but eventually she decided she was going to try the God thing, too. She saw what was happening in my life, and she said, well, all right, no promises, but I'll try it. And there came a point maybe a year or so afterward, that we were just talking to each other one day and we said, you know, I can't remember the last time I was bored. She said, yeah, you know, I can't remember the last time I was bored either. And we were amazed. We actually, we had thought that our quality of life was going to take this massive downturn when we decided to give ourselves to God, but it was the opposite. We found that our lives became so much richer and more fulfilling when we weren't comparing our reality where you have to scrub floors and do homework and wash toilets and, you know, you drive places when there's not going to be an accident and you're not having an important conversation. You just drive, right? Unlike the movies. Um, our our actual day-to-day existence became much more exciting. But the main thing that was important was that the Bible became so much more exciting. Where before, it was like, pray, you know, I can pray for maybe a minute or two, maybe five if I try really hard. But prayer became something that was so much easier to focus on when I didn't have all these other things that were the broken cisterns, the things that gave me excitement, thrills. When I let go of those things and it was a very difficult process, I found the Bible became so much more interesting. It became the word of God, the the voice of God to my soul. And as I studied the Bible, initially it was dry, it was hard to read, and I was like, oh dear, do I have to do the whole God thing? Does it take this much? But the more I read, and the more I read books like The Desire of Ages and Steps to Christ that talked about how to have a relationship with God and what Jesus was really like, and that He actually loved me, it started sinking in. I started feeling like, you know, I can actually connect with Him. I actually could love a God like this. I could actually even trust a God like this. So it was a process. As I, as I started trying to turn to the fountain of living waters, as I started tasting and seeing that the Bible really is exciting, it really is fascinating, when you study it instead of comparing the Bible with reading a novel. I could read a novel this thick in a night, but the Bible was another thing altogether. And yet I found when I stopped reading the novels this thick, the Bible progressively got more and more interesting because I was used to studying rather than, you know, reading something for a surface story you know, the page-turner, the things I couldn't stop reading. When I stopped reading those, the Bible became so much more fascinating. So recognizing loneliness as the call to God, of God to your heart is crucial. It's the first step, and I believe the most important step, in becoming satisfied with your single life. And I know I'm, I may be touching on some things that don't seem to have anything to do with relationships, but stay with me. If, you, if you're out in the woods and you're lost, and then you see... The campfire you see the smoke going up and you know that's the direction i've got to go it's really hard to take a detour but if there's a canyon between where you are and where the campfire is you're going to have to take a detour in order to really make it to where you want to be if you really want to make it to where you want to be single and satisfied you may have to take a detour and go through some of the things that you didn't think were actually related to this process of becoming satisfied with your singleness. If you stop fantasizing, and I don't know how many of you have this problem. This is, I'm sharing from my own experience. The Lord will convict you as you sit down with his word, with a pen and paper, and with a prayerful heart, and say, God, tell me what idols I need to hand over. God may do some some painful surgery on your heart, but it's gonna be good. You're gonna be glad. Um, I remember when loneliness drove me to a relationship that when I was 23 and I started dating this guy, it just seemed like such a good idea. He liked me, I liked him, he seemed like the most spiritual guy around. Um, And that's when I shared a little bit about earlier how in the end I knew this is not a good relationship. I knew we're going in the wrong direction, but I was powerless to stop. I just refused to think about it. When he broke up with me, I thought I would die. I felt like, like I remember just looking at at dead leaves and thinking that's it that's how I feel I feel like all of my guts are ripped out and there's just this empty dry brittle skin and if you stepped on me I'd crush into a thousand pieces that's how I felt my sister had come to visit me the weekend of the breakup and she came back two weeks later and she said what happened to you I'd lost like 10 pounds in two weeks I got stomach ulcers. It was agonizing. I couldn't even eat. I would barely be able to eat one meal a day because it hurt so much. I was just racked with pain. I couldn't sleep. I was crying all the time. It was one of the best things that ever happened to me. (laughs) And that's the dead truth. I'm telling you, if I had continued in that relationship, I could never have had the rich, fulfilling life and ministry that I have now. I thought I would die, but I remember God just continually reminding me, when you surrender to me, I will always give you either the desires of your heart or something better. And I kept saying, God, I really want this relationship back. But if you don't want to give it to me, then I choose not to pursue it. I choose you instead. And whatever it is that you want for me, Lord, I can't imagine ever loving anybody else. I can't imagine ever being loved by anybody. And I feel like my life is over. But I choose to believe your word. And God was faithful. And I promise you, no matter what you're going through, no matter how lonely you are, no matter what breakup you've gone through, no matter how you feel like you've wrecked your life by whatever choices you've already made, you may feel like, well, what's the use now? Nobody worthwhile would ever want me. I promise you, God will give you beauty for ashes. If you will take to him your heart, you will take to him your life, and you will say to him, whatever it is I am right now, Lord, and whatever I feel, I'm going to allow those things to be the cries of my heart. That you satisfy. Talk to him about your loneliness. Talk to him about how you feel. Talk to him about whatever it is you're struggling with. Those things that are on your heart, the cries of your heart are the things that when he satisfies them, you will never let go of him again because you'll know you have nothing to live for without Christ and you'll have no purpose in your life without him. The second step is becoming who you want to marry. What kind of person do you want to marry? Now, some people, I remember I just talked to somebody the other day who was telling me about He's made his list, all the characteristics of his future wife. She needs to be musical. He'd really like her to be beautiful. And, <laughs> and I, you know, I don't want to laugh at it. And I'm not saying it's a bad idea to make your list. You know, it's, it's good to have, have in your mind what kind of person you want to marry. But especially, I would say, look at what, what is Jesus like? What, is, what aspects of Jesus do you appreciate the most? Is it his consistency? Is it his faithfulness? Is it his everlasting love? Um, Whatever it is that you want to have in a future spouse, make that list. You know, that's fine. Make your list. I'm not talking about the superficial things, but the real things, the things that really matter. And then examine yourself. Are you this kind of person? Are you the kind of person that you want to marry? You know, look at your character. How much are you like Jesus? Are there areas that you know The Lord needs to grind off of you. Give those to him. Surrender those to him. And then in your personality, find who you want to be. You know, this is the time in your life when it's easiest to change. It may not be as easy as when you were four, but it's a whole lot easier than when you're going to be 44. Right now is the time that you can experiment with who you want to be. Try new things. Try things that maybe you don't feel like you're comfortable with. Maybe you want to do an art class. Maybe you want to do something that is just totally out of the box. You know, I'm not recommending skydiving, but I'm just saying, you know, <laughs> try things that maybe you want to see. Is this really me? Do you want to become a camping kind of person? Do you want to become a, a writer? Do you want to become, what, what is it that you feel like God is calling you to be? Most of all, what kind of calling do you want to have? I experimented with a lot of different ministries until I was about 21. And when I was 21, I hit youth ministry and I found, yes this is what I love, this is what I click with, this is what I enjoy, and I wanted to go into the mission field and be somewhere overseas, and eventually I realized, you know, there are a lot of mission fields that aren't overseas, and maybe I can do more by ministering to young people here and sending them overseas. You know, maybe that's a cop-out. It's comfortable to live here in the States and not have to go somewhere else, but what I'm saying is, become the kind of person you want to marry. If you're going to be called to the mission field, now is the time to find it out. Go on your mission trips now. Figure out where you want to minister, what kind of work you want to do, um, what, what areas of ministry you excel in. Maybe you think you're going to be a businessman or a treasurer or something like that. That's fine. You're still going to be in ministry if you're committed to Christ. If your life belongs to the Lord, then whatever you do is going to be a ministry. And As you uncover what ministry you find most fulfilling, um, you will find God will naturally lead you together with other people who are like-minded in ministry, in the kind of ways they want to spend their spare time. This is the time to experiment with what your personality is and changing your personality. You may say, well, I'm just a really moody, naturally depressed person. That's who I am. Well, you can accept that. Every natural personality has its inborn strengths and weaknesses. But you don't have to just say, this is the way I am. You can let God change who you are. And last, serve others. Whoops, we lost our title, didn't we? Well, anyway, it's still on satisfying the thirst. Serve others. Find ways that you can be involved in ministry and, and give of yourself. I had a friend who I remember whenever he was lonely or feeling down, he would sit down with five pieces of paper And he would write notes of encouragement to other people. Just drop them into other people's boxes or something like that. He'd just find a way to reach out, forget about himself, think about others. When you're feeling lonely, focus on others instead of yourself. Find somebody else you can minister to and it will solve much of the loneliness of your heart. We know there are two great commandments. Love God first and love your neighbor as yourself. As you make God the center of your life, all other idols will fall away from your heart. And then as you minister to others, you'll be fulfilling the second great commandment. Reaching out and finding love and rich, fulfilling relationships with other people will help you to be changed into the image of Christ and it will help satisfy that thirst for intimacy with someone else. I'm going to hand over to my wonderful husband, now.
1: Thank you. All right, you're still single and satisfied. Some of you are not single, so I'm not sure why you're here. Perhaps we need a talk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right, so we're, we're taking a look at being single. And one of the biggest challenges of being single is loneliness, right? And we, we chat a little bit about that. But I remember sometimes when I hated being lonely. You know, when you go to bed and you're just like, nobody loves me, I'm all alone in the world. And then your roommate walks in and doesn't even say hi. <laughs> you see, Lord? Even He doesn't love me. And then, uh, and then, you, and then you pray to God, and then you, it's like it's blank up there. It's like, hello? Hello? And it doesn't feel like even God's there. Any of you gone through that? And so the real challenge with how we've been lonely, in spite of the fact that we have many friends, in fact, some of the most popular people are the most lonely. Uh, people are increasingly busy, says Margaret Gibbs, a psychologist. We become a society where we expect things instantly and don't spend the time it takes to have real intimacy with another person. So guess what we want? We want instant intimacy. And so we have to become comfortable with growing to know another person. And instead, in this society, we want somebody to solve it right away, like a tablet the instant intimacy tablets I take this and I will feel great about myself I will feel close to another person and there is a way you can take that tablet and that's to get involved in a physical relationship with someone else but you will have a hangover are you following me and so if you want to be single and satisfied you can't go for the short-term solution the statistics are is that between 1985 and 2006 you can see the number of people who had close confidence in 1985, they, they, were th- they had three close confidence. In 2006, it was down to two. Number of people with no close confidence in 1985, 10%. In 2006, 19%. In other words, we are becoming increasingly disconnected from each other. So you wonder why you're disconnected when you're surrounded by people? This is the trend. And we have to help each other. As a group of people, we have to connect. We have to be willing to be together with each other. The problem is we live in a high-tech, high-touch society. And uh, what that means is, For instance, in college, first-year college students may spend more time in their rooms on their computers chatting to high school friends than interacting with their college friends. Because back then in high school, we were so close. You know, in the academy, we all hung out together, we were just a little group. But the reality is now, when we should have a broader network, we're not connected. Sometimes we jump into a relationship, and that's the one person we connect with. What happens when you break up? You suddenly discover, I don't have any friends. Because I just had this one person. It's not wise. So let's deal with breakups because that's a reality. Now, unfortunately, I have to be honest, I went through six breakups. Dumb, you know. (laughs) Why did I do that? Because I was searching for something. I can just imagine one day Adam sat down before Eve was made with Mr. Lion. He noticed that Mr. Lion has Mrs. Lioness. And so he sits down and Adam says, you know, tell me, tell me about this relationship thing. And Mr. Lion says, it's great. Mrs. Lioness goes out and catches the food for supper. She runs, she does all the hard work. She catches the food, she brings it home and I get to eat first. And I said, well, you know, Adam says to, to, to the lion there, tell me, what, what is it that you do? What's your role? He says, well, I get to sleep. You know, it takes a lot of energy to think about lionesses. So I sleep, <laughs> I eat, and I make little baby lions. <laughs> and Adam goes, how did you get this, like, lioness? And he says, well, God gave it to me. God... God, I need to talk to you. <laughs> I can imagine that many of us have that kind of way of relating to our singleness. If only I could have somebody to take care of my needs. There's somebody who could just come in and take care of all of my needs. And so we have this idealistic perception. Now, when we go through a breakup, we, are, we then look for another person. This person didn't work. They didn't meet all my needs. So I'm going to look for someone else. What would you describe that attitude as, Mr. Lyon's attitude? Selfishness. And yet, that's how we approach life. You see, we we don't think about ministering to other people. We are desperate for love. Now, nearly two-thirds of Americans between the ages of 18 and 35 have experienced a major breakup in the last 10 years. Now, here's interesting statistics. Half of the women say they initiated the splits, whereas only a third of the men say their partner dumped them somebody is lying, all right? <laughs> 38% of the men say it was mutual, whereas only 28% of the women say it was mutual. Somebody's lying. It's like, oh, yeah, this was both of us. And so when I, when I went through breakups initially, breakups are not too bad if you're the one doing the breaking up. You know what I'm talking about? If you're the one who makes the decision, sometimes it can still be painful. But when you're in charge and control, sometimes you can even be callous, I remember breaking up. I I had a relationship. I broke up with this girl. Three-week relationship, you know, intense. Then I had another three-week relationship, broke up with with both of them. i like, this is not going very well. Then the two of them got together, and they wanted to, like, sing a song to me. Uh, John Denver, perhaps love is like the ocean, full of conflict, full of pain. And they were going to sing this to me, praise the Lord, they never got to do it. But, but I, I, was, I had no idea about the pain I'd inflicted on them. Are you listening? Ladies, beware. Some guys were like I was, they have no concept of what is going on in your life as a result of the breakup. They're clueless. Guys are clueless. You know? Uh, And so when it comes to emotions, sometimes. And so what happens is sometimes we just don't realize. And with breakups, we carry this hurt, but we have no idea what's happened. Now, here's what women say. Women say the number one reason for breakups are infidelity, while men said that it was because they grew apart. Well, obviously, they grew apart to somewhere else. (laughs) physical and this is serious physical and emotional abuse made up 25% of breakups for women compared to just 10% for men so what it is is that women are saying we are in challenging relationships over 36% said that they got over their ex by doing what dating someone else so we have a real challenge you are you may be struggling with being single because of your selfish desire to keep having somebody meet your needs. And as soon as somebody's out, how do we resolve the problem? By looking for someone else. And I know in my life, I went on rebounds. Fortunately, I was often rebuffed. So praise the Lord for that. So how do we deal with our singleness? I want to jump through a couple of things here. Number one, we're going to have to face the fact that every now and again, we will get the tingles. You will come up to somebody and uh, you know, you'll suddenly go, Wow, I mean, I, I, I can't, can't believe it. My heart just somersaulted, my, my brain went all mushy, and I started quoting poetry, and I'm not a poet. <laughs> <laughs> and So what are you gonna do when you get the tingles? When, when you feel the electric shock going down through your body, what are you gonna do with the tingles? You're single, but you want to be satisfied. But suddenly, whenever that person walks in the room, your radar, come on now, your radar antenna knows exactly where they are, east about 50 feet away (laughs) on the left-hand side of the (laughs) pillow. So so what are you going to do with that feeling? Recognize that not everyone you get the tingles for is a person you're supposed to be in a relationship with. met this girl that I got the tingles for. I'd been single for about a year, praise the Lord, and uh, I was just starting to get used to my singleness. And it was during one of those tempting moments when you're away from busyness, and I was relaxing, going to a wedding of a friend, and this was one of her bridesmaids. And I got the tingles. you know, I looked at her, and I felt all of those emotions. And so I was desperate to get to know her, find out about her. Uh, but I had the tingles before I even knew her. Doesn't that happen? And so the tingles were there. And I, before I knew it, I was starting to make moves toward a relationship. It was only as I started getting to know her that I realized she was a pagan, partying, uh, drinking... Uh, I I don't know what other terms to use for her. She she was somebody who was totally wrong for me. Do you think I should have pursued a relationship with her? Absolutely not. But did I have the tingles? Yes. Tingles are not a sign that you need to get into a relationship. Don't follow your heart. What does the Bible say? Jeremiah 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Especially you. There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So what are you going to do? You've got tingles for a person. Maybe you have even real love relationship. Maybe you've broken up. How are you going to handle these things? If you're in a breakup or if you have the tingles, it both applies. There's some things I'm going to tell you. Don't try to be friends with that person. Don't try to be friends. Uh, It's not going to work. If you've gone through a breakup... Friendship after breakup. Oh, you know what? We broke up, but now we're great friends. Liars. Because you are still emotionally attached to that person. You've got to be careful about also being friends with people that you have an interest in. We'll deal with that later. Don't go on the rebound. Don't just bounce back to another person who can fill that need. Use this opportunity instead to do what my wife said, what Nicole said, to go deeper with God. Your pain is the opportunity to grow your heart and your character. When you're going through a breakup, you are closer to God than you've ever been. Hallelujah. I mean, has has that happened? Come on, say amen. Don't leave me out here alone, all right? Figure out what went wrong. After I broke up with that girl that I dated for three and a half years, I said, I can't date anymore. And so I took three years away from dating to become satisfied with being single. I had to figure out what went wrong. You know what I figured out? I had zero emotional intelligence. Come on, guys. I had zero emotional intelligence. No wonder I had problems in my relationships. Because girls would say things and I'd be like, what's that? You know, the one girl told me, uh, that was the same girl, three and a half years. She said, I don't understand, you know, why you, you you don't know what's going on in my life. She says, I'm like an open book. And then she got a glinted eyes. The problem is you don't know which page I'm on. I said, give me an index. I'm a guy, you know, I can't handle this. So figure out, figure out what went wrong. Get to understand people. Figure out if you're carrying emotional baggage into that relationship. Deal with your baggage. Don't expect to deal with it in the relationship. Is that fair enough? Deal with the stuff that comes from your past. Now, you're going to have another problem. You are single and sexual. You are a sexual being. Anybody who's not a sexual being, you may leave right now. All right? <laughs> How do you stay single and handle your sexual impulses? Remember that getting married will not mean a sexual free for all. You are training right now for self-discipline and marriage. I, I, just one guy told me he just got married. And you know, he came like two weeks after he was married. He came to have dinner at our house. and. And he and I was like, how's it going he says, you know I kind of expected more fireworks <laughs> 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 you know I expected it to be you know sex to be this you know I, I couldn't think about anything else for the next year kind of thing And the reality is that that you you are not going to have these incredible... Fireworks and, and everything else, that's not what you should be dreaming and putting your mind on. There's a false theology out there that says, put all of your expectations in the future and make it to be some grand thing. I say, no, put your expectations on God and take your sexuality to God and because He made you that way. It's His problem, all right? You can take it to God and, and He will deal with it. Remember, sex is about giving, not getting. That's really important. Sex is a ministry. Dietrich Boniface says that chastity is not non-sexuality, that it, but that it means a positive approach to relationships with the opposite sex. You can start having positive relationships, but you need to begin this discipline now while you're single to start doing that. That means, guys and some girls, you've got to deal with the issue of pornography. Can I do this before we close? Can we deal with, with this issue? 91% of men are being exposed to pornography the majority of challenges with it now girls be horrified this is a reality of our society why because it's at the click of a button and i know it's with girls too and uh, pornography is a challenge now some people just excuse it well you know women were made to be beautiful and i was made to look on beauty and so it's okay it's a lie what does the bible say matthew 5 verse 28 whoever looks upon a woman lustfully. In his heart, he's already committed adultery. Pornography is probably the number one reason for poor sexual satisfaction in marriage. If you want to be single and satisfied, you've got to deal with the issue of pornography. So what are you going to do? I've got some A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, all right? <laughs> Admit that you are helpless. You, pornography is so strong... That as a single person, you are not going to be able to overcome it. It's so close. It's so easy. No one will ever know. You can't deal with it by yourself. Admit that you're helpless. But secondly, believe in God's power to overcome. All right? So you you have to believe that God can do something about it. Even though you are helpless, is God helpless? Not at all. All right? Thirdly, confess your sin. Yeah, that's uh, special effects, yeah? Thirdly, (laughs) confess your sin. What does that mean? Be honest about it. Put it out. Write it down. In some way, confess your sin. You don't necessarily need to find a priest. (laughs) You know, this is not Catholic. But find some way of of putting it out there. Decide right now to stop. You've got to make that decision now. If you try and make that decision in the future, it's not going to work. All right? Engage in positive behavior. Learn how to relate in the right way with the opposite sex. Because when they're real, it's harder to see them as a sex object when they're real. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Put your mind to focus on that. What you feed will grow. What does that mean? You feed your negative sexuality, your lust, that's what will grow. But you feed what you're giving to God, and that's what's going to grow is your relationship with God. What you feed will grow. Starve the other. Get out of danger. Remove the internet from your computer. Get covenant eyes if that's what if that's going to help you. Get covenant eyes. Have that on your computer, and uh, you know, and have someone hold you accountable because you can't do this by yourself. All right. Hopefully, they got something that's representative. All right. Yeah. Um, I want to I just deal in this final thing just to wrap things up. How do you live life positively? What do you think? Is, 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 how many of you, this is a dangerous question, how many of you feel satisfied? Single and satisfied. How many of you feel satisfied? OK, there's a few hands. You're kind of in this group. It's like, no one's going to be single and satisfied yet. <laughs> how are we going to turn this around? How are we going to turn it around? My wife hinted at it. What are your ministry opportunities? Get involved. Reach out to people. You can't sit in your room and say how lonely you are. You, you heard of the guy who wanted a job and he prayed, dear God, give me a job. I need a job. And then an angel appeared, said, I have a word from the Lord. Open the newspaper. You know? <laughs> if you're lonely, what do you have to do? Hello, what do you have to do? Get, get, get friendly, make friends. You know, a man must make himself friendly. He must be friendly if he wants to have friends. And so get friends. And you know what's great about singleness is you get friends for life. Once you get married, it's different. You kind of, you, you close in a little on your circle. But when you're, when you're single, you can do great things. Uh, you can have friendships and you can build those friendships. It'll last you for life. But if you're going to do that, Stop having friendships with intention. Stop hanging around people that you're interested in. You know what I'm saying? If, if you want friends for life, don't just spend your whole time hanging around. You know, I kind of have an interest in him, but we're just friends. We're going to just hang out together. And, oh, look, I wonder if there's any way I can ingratiate myself into that company. No, you know, make friends broader than that. Don't just make friends with one sex or the other. Make friends with both sexes. Uh, Stop thinking of pink elephants. You know what I mean by that? Okay, don't think about pink elephants. What are you thinking about? Pink elephants, right? So don't think about relationships. What are you thinking about? Don't, whatever you do, don't think about... No, I'm not even going to go to sex because... Anyway, so <laughs> what you've got to do is stop thinking about the things that are distracting you and instead start thinking about the things you can get involved in, ministry opportunities. So instead of saying, don't, just don't do that, don't do that, start living by the do's. Ministry. Get involved in ministry. What are things you can do? Man, when I was single, I could go places. Now, I have to take three kids and and a wife. <laughs> All right. And so when we get on a plane, we we have like eighteen pieces of luggage. You know, they we almost need. We have to take a bus to get to the plane. You know. <laughs> when you're single, I mean, you remember the days. You know, you're single, backpack, thumb. You're on your way. <laughs> you know, you can do anything you like. You come in at midnight. Nobody says where were you tonight. You know, you can. This has nothing to do with our personal relationship. But, but you can, I mean, you, are, you have a freedom to do ministry. You know, if you decide to go and serve in Iraq and to, to preach the gospel there, no one's going to say, you're going to leave me all alone, and then you're going to die out there, and I'll be bringing your body home, and I'll be crying over your body, and you're going to leave me like this. No, you just go. It's your, <laughs> all right. So so use your ministry opportunities. To celebrate your singleness. This is a time in your life that hopefully you will never have again. <laughs> Once it's gone, boy, Jonathan, it's gone. You know what? You you can't go back. So you know, a year or two into it, and I know some days. Sometimes people do this here. A year or two into it, they say. You know what? I think I kind of like to be single again. No, when you're married. (laughs) All right? We're together. So use your time now. This is a gift from God. God made Adam to be single for a time. He said, experience your singleness. This is for a purpose. God wants you to have a purpose. And I'm going to say, grow, grow, grow. That's what God wants you to do. Become the person God wants you to be. And live, live, live. Get out there. Live life. Stop wondering. about. If only I had that special person. Get out there and live. You may never have this again. You're going to be tied down with somebody telling you what to do. <laughs> Not about us. <laughs> right? But you need to get out there and live. Amen. You need to have a life where people say, I want to be like that single person over there because they can live. In my life, I got to the point where I said, you know what? I don't need a relationship. It would be nice, Lord. Let's be honest. It would be nice, but I don't need it. And I'm having so much fun doing ministry and living my life. I'm excited about this. And at the point where she was satisfied with being single, Nicole was satisfied with being single, and where I was satisfied with being single, that was the time when God introduced us to each other because now we were ready. Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for the gift of singleness. It's true that some of us have been through messy breakups. And and grappling with those breakups, we realize this is the invitation to a deeper relationship with you. Keep us from going back to get hurt again. Instead, direct us to become the whole healthy high-energy, deep, powerful, pure, beautiful people that you've called us to be. Where there's junk in our lives that the devil has fed us lies from, from broken relationships, where there's junk that makes us feel worthless, we're asking for you to heal us, make us whole again, and help us to live for you. In Jesus' name. Amen.